Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland radio show, the programme which brings together Ireland's maritime community. The sea around our coastline, our inland waters, our lakes and rivers are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. Socially and economically, they're vital to this island nation. Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. Welcome aboard. On this edition, the Galway Hooker people are ordinary but extraordinary people. Keeping tradition alive, anyway, that's what it's about, and getting more and more people involved as well. And as I, as I say to our group of volunteers there, we're just, they're extraordinary, ordinary people. That's Kieran Oliver, one of the founders and commodore of Galway Hooker Sailing Club. Kieran is involved in completing a great restoration project bringing a 96-year-old Lady of the Sea back to life. We'll be telling you more about the Levine. And could the maritime sector and the developing offshore energy industry be a target for cyber criminals? I believe the renewable energy sector needs to be really, really aware of the potential threats and to take decisive action from the very beginning in order to try and build security in by design across all of their systems. That's Kieran Caulfield, an expert on maritime cyber security, who'll tell us that ships, ports, navigation and weather voyage could all be targeted by criminals and what can be done to protect the maritime sector. First we'll head to the Clada, that great traditional part of Galway City, where the lovely Corrib flows through the western capital of Ireland, and which is synonymous with the great Galway hookers, those wonderful traditional boats which are icons of the West. Kieran Oliver's family history goes back over a hundred years to the fishing village of the Clada. His great-great-uncle Martine was the last king of the Clada. The Lavina, Lady of the Sea, doesn't go back quite that far, almost but not fully, just 96 years. A Glautog, the second, last Clada hooker, still in existence. He's Commodore of the Galway Hooker Sailing Club, which his family helped establish to preserve knowledge and interest in the hookers. It's just completing a two-year project to restore the Lavine, which has had several owners in her time. The last being local boatman Nicky Dolan, who bought her in 2011, but died before he could complete its restoration. The boat was presented to Galway Port Sea Scots the following year, and along came the Hooker Club, with a hundred volunteers who have been working on the restoration at her shed on the Clada Quay, with men like the renowned Colleen Hernan involved. That will conclude successfully with the Lavine being launched back into the waters of the Corrib next month. Colette Fury, a teacher who's involved with the educational aspect of the club, described how the last owner, Nicky Dolan, was a close friend of Kieran Oliver in the Cladder. This boat, it was owned by a dear friend of his, Nicky Dolan, um, and he had owned the Lavine. Um, but he didn't really get much time to sail it, um, and then he passed away suddenly. 
um, and then it was um, passed on to the Sea Scouts, who uh, you know sailed it for a while, and then I suppose it just you know fell into disrepair a little bit, um, and then the the passion and the interest was always there from Kieran and his family to get this boat restored in memory of Nicky, you know, as a tribute and use it to, for the Sea Scouts to, you know, get teach the sea, scout, sea Scouts, you know, about sailing and the traditional vessels and, you know, for the community in general and to get kids involved. Um, and we've linked up, I'm a primary school teacher myself in a disadvantaged city school, um, so we're linked up with those and just to teach kids, you know, about traditional sailing and get them out on the water. It's wonderful to hear about and the plan is to get the Lovine back in the water next month? Yeah, so in the coming weeks now, we don't have an exact, we're just here having a meeting about it at the moment actually, we don't have an exact date uh, yet, but it will be in the next couple of weeks, yeah. It is definitely something that we need to share with the community. Back in April 2019, we launched uh, Lovely Anne and I know at the time, you know, it was just such a proud moment for Clara and the Oliver family and everyone that was involved in that restoration. Um, and she was sailed after Clara. Um, you know, and all the people from the Clara were out and celebrating it. And yeah, it was just, it was just great. So that's the idea again now for loving this. Uh, I suppose the club is more well known now. And we have a quite a large presence um, and following online. So a lot of people are excited about this, enthusiastic and, you know, wanting to help out and see how they can get involved. Colette Fury outlining the background of the Galway Hooker Sailing Club. And so I asked the redoubtable Kieran Oliver how he felt now that the project was coming to its finale. Uh, emotional and happy and sad and bittersweet and all that kind of stuff, you know, because it's, uh, it's just a nice kind of community story. We have a great bunch of volunteers there. Should know better thing than getting a 96-year-old boat to go back in the water. Exactly. No, just, uh, yeah, that's just come, yeah. It's taken a, a fair number of years, but you must be very pleased now to see the final stages. That's it, yeah. The, fi- the final countdown, the, launch, the clock is ticking now for we're probably looking at about four weeks or so. They're, they're, they're about, hopefully, you know, but the final touches, the painting, the filling, the fairing. We had the boat outside yesterday for uh, measuring sails. Anyone in the maritime community should know them in a traditional boat builders. And, um, yeah, so we measured for sails yesterday, so that's that's another another step in the right direction. A great achievement for the Clada. It is, it is. Keeping tradition alive, anyway, that's what it's about. And, and uh and getting more and more people involved as well. And as I as I say to our group of volunteers there, we're just they're extraordinary, ordinary people. You know, we had seven or eight people there in on their hands and knees and tippy toes and step ladders and boxes and they're filling and putty on the side of the boat there, you know, and just uh I'd like to think uh, in a hundred years time that we'll be talking about this group of people that just came together with not all not not boat builders, certainly not boat builders, but all with their own unique skill set and stuff and yeah, and uh just as I said, keep tradition live and sail, sail the boats into the next century. From Kieran Oliver and the Galway Hookers to a 30-foot West Cork gaff cutter, that's another great boat restoration that has been completed. She's the 119-year-old Lady Min. And I told you about her in previous programmes and how Simon O'Keefe and his family at Skull wanted to commemorate the designing and building of the boat there by their forefather, Morris. 
When originally launched, Lady Min had a hull described by traditionalists as having undoubted speed, but some of them questioned whether she'd survive for very long. They were wrong, and many of these supposedly more rugged boat types, which were her contemporaries, have long since disappeared. But the Lady Min survives and sails well, says Simon. She can go fast. Generations of the O'Keefe family were aboard when she was relaunched at Skull, and that's not far from Baddity Hob, where Tiernan Rowe, the boat builder, restored her at his boatyard. And he did a great job, says Simon. That she has been saved for future generations is the embodiment of the attraction of boats in the life of a family. You can read more about her and see photos of her on my website blog, tomaxweenymarine.ie. From great old boats we turn to modern shipping and the ports they use, the electronics, the navigation systems and their safety. Kieran Caulfield is involved in maritime cyber security and says the marine sphere is at risk of significant disruption should it be targeted by cyber criminals in attacks against ships, port operations, navigational aids and fishing vessels, for example. And we'll all remember the attack on the HSE system. Kieran is Enterprise Director at the cyber security company Renaissance. He's also an offshore sailor, sea angler, and an RNLI lifeboat volunteer and has been involved all his life with the sea. The maritime industry has already seen cyber security incidents, so this threat is very real, he says. Yes, indeed. Uh, these are all uh, potential targets. Uh, any of the systems that we use today um, in terms of the technology that assists us uh, in the operation of a vessel or, or a port infrastructure, uh, they are all potentially exposed to cyber threat. And this is simply because uh, these systems are connected to the Internet. Uh, and if they're not connected themselves directly, uh, often the users that are, are um, managing these systems are connected to the Internet uh, through various devices. And these are, are portals, if you like, where cyber criminals or uh, exploits that are being run against uh, uh, vulnerabilities on these infra infrastructure systems uh, can be exploited. And it need not necessarily be a specifically targeted attack. It may simply just be a random uh, exploit that's uh, been found and is, is running against these systems that causes the outage. And uh, that outage can, can take many, many different forms. Uh, what we're seeing is the, the likes of port, you know, if we take port infrastructure, for instance, um, take control of a crane. If a bad actor or a cyber criminal takes control of a crane and locks it out, uh, then the, the port is effectively disabled. Uh, and that's just a very simple example of how one might go about uh, causing chaos uh, from a cyber uh, security risk perspective. This is something that we haven't heard of much. Uh, so is there awareness in the maritime world of the the risks? Uh, I think it's much like many parts of traditional industries where individuals within those industries are becoming aware either because an incident has occurred and they've had to, to uh, 
actually inform themselves and, and take appropriate action. Um, or it is the case that individuals are simply taking the view that, well, sure, why would anybody attack us? You know, what have we got? There's bigger fish out there, um, pardon the pun, um, there's bigger targets out there, bigger opportunities. So why would anybody target my organization? We're only a small organization, for instance. So in response to that, I would always say that it doesn't matter the size of the organization or, you know, it might just be an individual vessel. Um, and somebody's thinking, well, you know, hit Maersk or hit, hit some of the big guys instead. Why would they choose me? Um and the reality of the situation is that a lot of these attacks are not necessarily targeted. They are just generic attacks that are put out there. And if somebody's unfortunate enough to click on a link or download an application or browse a website that is infected, shall we say, um, that they can then become the source of this uh, attack happening against their organization. Um, and coming back to the why would they attack me? The, the simple example that I give is that nowadays in China, there are numerous factories producing fake eggs, chicken's eggs. Uh, they're fake. They're completely chemical. They're, they have been made uh, in a factory. And these are being shipped out in batches of 100,000 at a time on the back of a 40-foot truck. And once those eggs hit the egg markets, they're gone. They disappear. And it is impossible to tell the difference between these fake eggs and natural ones. The only way one can tell is that the natural has the little membrane inside the, the eggshell. Um, now, what's, what's the point? How does this relate to, to the maritime industry? Well, the point being that if uh, criminals are prepared to go to the effort of manufacturing fake hen's eggs because it's cheaper than raising hens, um, uh, in my mind, that means that anybody and any target is valid. It doesn't matter as long as there is money in it at the end of the day. And that's the, the, the driving factor. And your concern also, you're saying, is in relation to navigational aids and um, the growing offshore energy sector. Yes, indeed. Um, these, <clears throat> these are rich, rich targets, potentially. Um, now, the IMO the, has put out guidelines on maritime cyber risk management and that uh, kicked off really around 2017 when they were developing this. Um, but it came into force as of January of this year and organizations, uh, vessels, etc. must be prepared for risk assessment audits in order to determine whether they have uh, risks that they're, are not being addressed. Now, when we look at the wider picture, uh, what that means, um, if we're looking into the likes of the renewable energy sector, for instance, we've got fantastic developments going on in Ireland, really, really leading lights in, in terms of the development of uh, floating offshore wind, for instance. The, the team at Simply Blue and, and Green Rebel and many others are doing fantastic work. My concern around that is that as this work develops rapidly and a lot of excitement around it, a lot of good news uh, articles going out there. It's raising awareness of the sector, but it's also raising awareness of the opportunity for cyber criminals. 
And if we take an example of, let's say, a survey vessel. So survey vessel, crucial to the development of a, of a uh, project of that nature. Um, if that vessel were targeted and disabled, and it can be disabled in so many different ways, um, that impacts upon that project. So, okay, that's a, a reasonably minor one. But if we then look at it further down the road and say, okay, well, the project is up and running, there's X number of turbines, there's X uh, megawatts of energy being produced. What if the management systems around that are compromised and held to ransom? Uh, it becomes a very juicy target and it becomes one that is you know, reasonably easy to achieve as well. So I believe that the renewable energy sector needs to be really, really aware of the potential threats and to take decisive action from the very beginning in order to try and build security in by design uh, across all of their systems. And while I did say at the outset that there wasn't, we hadn't heard a lot about um, the problem, of course there have been incidents because big shipping companies, I remember Maersk as one for example, have had attacks on their uh, their systems, cargoes, um, they were forced offline, um, there were delays, uh, so there has been already a number of th- these incidents occurring. Indeed, there has, and, and we will see more and more. Um, and it's it's the nature of the beast, really. Uh, we're seeing the same thing in the industrial control systems uh, within manufacturing, uh, within medical, within every sector. Uh, we saw the, the pipeline attack in the, the colonial pipeline attack in the U.S. targeting infrastructure, and the idea of targeting infrastructure. Uh, within the maritime sector, it applies just as it does anywhere else. Um, disable a ship, uh, disable a, a, a management system controlling a fleet. Um, look at the knock-on effect then on the supply chains, how that causes uh, ripples right across the globe. And, okay, the, the uh, ever-given uh, incident in the, the uh, Suez was not... Uh, related, as far as we know, to a cyber attack. But the example, I think, is really worth looking at in terms of how a ship being disabled and causing a blockage of a port or a seaway uh, has such an enormous knock-on effect on the supply chains around the world. And if we were to say, okay, well, that, that was a a ship going aground as a consequence of a, a, a beam on breeze that it couldn't hold uh, its course. Um, but what if we were to say uh, a vessel were attacked in the English Channel, for instance, and attacked by a cyber attack, which uh, looked at targeting the AIS system, um, simply changed the parameters on the AIS to... Uh, make the vessel appear to be the same width as the English Channel, for instance, and then lock those systems out and hold that ship to ransom. Now, not only are you holding that ship to ransom, but you're also blocking that seaway. And one of the busiest sea lanes in the world, now you've got ships trying to go about as quickly as they possibly can because the collision warning systems are, are lit up like Christmas trees. And that would be a reasonably easy uh, attack 
to, to carry out. And it's quite frightening, the impact of, of something as simple as that. Kieran Caulfield from the cybersecurity company Renaissance and a lot of timely advice about maritime security. From which we turn to the offshore islands where fishermen are unhappy about the way they are being treated. The recent closure of the line-caught mackerel fishery is one example. They've called through their representative body, the Irish Islands Marine Resource Organisation, IMRO, on the Minister for the Marine to set up a public consultation for the fair allocation of fishing opportunities, which would have a focus on sustainable seasonal fisheries for the islands. Jerry Early on Aaron Moore is chairman of IMRO. I feel that, that as a representative of the island, um, the onus is on me to highlight the fact that it's getting really, really hard. There's very few new entrants. Um, in fact, just in the last week, I had, I had a young lad come out with me. Um, and, and I actually, whereas I'm forever, forever canvassing to have young people come into the sector, you know, and, and I do that, I was also at pains to point out to this young, fella, this young lad um, who has a massive interest in, in, in maybe carving a career for himself that the, the challenges he's going to face are unprecedented. And that you really need to consider it um, as as a long term, you know, occupation for himself. So yeah, um, I suppose really to, to keep it going um, or to keep to keep at it. I suppose, listen, Tom, it's, it's a traditional, it's a traditional way of life for Agnes, and, and it's very very hard just to turn that off and say, okay, you know, we're done with it. Let's go and do something else. That's not how it works, unfortunately. You know, I mean, you know, historically, fishermen are hunters; they're not cultivators, um, and that's something you just can't switch on and switch off. So, so I suppose to answer your question, it, it's all that some people know. It, it's all they've ever done, and it's very, very hard to walk away from that. And yeah, as hard now as it is, there's there's still you know a fair percentage out there of islanders who who want to fish, but they want to do it you know, as I said previously, in an equitable manner where it's a fair playing field for all. And at this moment in time, I don't think that's happening. Just one point you make there, Jerry, I suppose it's one of the ones that would be particularly disappointing, trying to encourage the younger people to go into fishing, the point you make. They need the encouragement to continue this tradition. Otherwise, it's probably going to die out. Yeah. Uh, and that's 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 the nub of the matter right there, Tom. Um, and there is, you know, irrespective of what's happening with, with the fishermen, it's very very hard to get young fishermen, you know, Tom, up and down the coast, as as you will see on the pier heads. You know, they're, they're not there unless they're coming down from from a family, you know, sort of two man two man job. But it's 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 getting harder and harder. Um, and I suppose one of the frustrations and. and that, that a lot of fishermen will have is that, you know, in the small-scale sector, under-12 sector, the majority of them, them, them boats are, are now being crewed by, by fishermen that are coming off the pelagic boats for the summertime. And, and that's, listen, it's, it's totally on the race to do that, but, you know, it's, it's sort of two, <laughs> two slices of the one cake, you know, have the cake and eat it, uh, and there's a bit of that happening. But come back to your thing about getting, getting younger people. No, there is no forward investment. There's no incentives or very little incentives for young people to get into the sector. And, you know, is this, you would almost think, Tom, it was a planned, it was a planned um, 
there was a planned effort to to curtail fishing or to stop fishing because that's that's what it seems to me because the, the supports are not in place and, and it's getting more and more difficult. Jerry Early, chairman of the island's marine resource organisation, outlining the situation faced by our offshore islands fishermen. And as he identified, the future of the industry needs young people going into fishing. If they don't, that future will be uncertain. Now to the angling world, and with quite a lot of positive news to report, Miles Kelly joins me from Inland Fisheries Ireland. Hi Tom, great to be back on the show. You're looking well. The last time I was on, we talked about the outlook for anglers this year. And in fairness, it's been a pretty interesting year so far. Between wet spells and dry spells and hot spells and cold spells, anglers from deep sea to small streams have all had their red letter days. We've even seen some of these catches make national news. Like that thresher shark recently, caught and safely released by Team Ireland angler Dan Lynch. It was a great achievement and adds to our knowledge of these incredible fish in our waters. Not all the best catches have been fish, of course. Did you know that Inland Fisheries Ireland recently awarded over €770,000 to 17 projects across 11 counties in this year's Habitats and Conservation Scheme? The projects were awarded funding under the Salmon and Sea Trout Rehabilitation Conservation Fund and the Midlands Fisheries Fund. Both of these funds are generated by the sale of salmon and sea trout angling licences and commercial fishing licences in Ireland. There are some really interesting projects in the mix in this year's scheme. A major issue for a number of rivers in Ireland is impassable barriers. These are typically old weirs. So it's great to see more rock ramp passageways being constructed to help fish to migrate up and downstream. Anyone listening in from County Carlow can check out the impassable weir at Balna Carrig on the main river Barrow Channel Carlow, which we replaced by a rock ramp under the scheme. Apart from dealing with impassable barriers, a number of the projects will directly lead to improved water quality. This will be achieved by minimising agricultural impacts through installing fences to stop livestock from entering rivers to drink and providing water pumps and troughs instead. One such project will take place on the River Dysert in Westmeath in the Brosna catchment. Staying with the wards, I'd like to tell you about the sponsorship programme because this year Inland Fisheries Ireland will be supporting 38 initiatives for new and novice anglers. Some of the awarded projects include a fishing programme to promote mental health in North Louth, an introduction to fly fishing in Limerick for Women, the All-Ireland Junior Under-16 and Under-21 Boat Competition in Donegal and a Let's Start Fishing event on Loch Corrib in Galway. In all, a total of €17,450 has been awarded to clubs, associations and local groups for projects across 15 counties to help develop sustainable angling tourism in Ireland. Recent research showed 18% of people in Ireland who haven't tried angling are likely to do so in the future, so the events awarded funding under the sponsorship programme, which are aimed at increasing participation in angling, couldn't have come at a better time. That's all I have this week, Tom. Talk to you soon. Indeed, we will, Miles. Miles Kelly there from Inland Fisheries Ireland and the Angling World. And so we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland radio show, which is broadcast on 18 community stations around Ireland. And they are in Cork on CRY 104FM Yall, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio and UCC Radio. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, 
on Athlone Community Radio, on Kilkenny City Radio, and in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Bellbodet, on Southwest Clare Radio, Radio Corker Boschkeen, on West Limerick 102 FM, and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. And there are podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify, and the Marine Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community, and your views are most welcome. The programme website is tomacsweedymarine.ie or look up the Maritime Ireland radio show. The programme email address is maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. That's maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. Our phone and text number is 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound supervision on the programme by Justin Marr. More marine news on Twitter at Tom McSweeney. Until our next broadcast, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>